we're in a tight spot. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of 20 Years for Beers, coming at you from outside Minneapolis, Minnesota. A truly historic day today, November 7th, the day the Mandarin Brothers recorded episode 3. What else could possibly... Podcast, nothing else happened today. This is the day that shall be remembered for that reason. Uh, welcome to 20 Slash 4. My name is Steve. This is my big brother, Tim. And thanks for joining us. 20 Years 4 Beers is a podcast dedicated to rewatching movies from two decades ago while drinking at least four modern beers. On our last episode, we had a little teaser at the end saying our next movie this time would be Memento. That is actually changing because although that movie was released on the festival circuit in 2000, its technical release date was July of 2001, and we decided to push it till next year. That did allow us to move up our next movie, which is an amazing film that many of you know and love, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? So before going too far down that path, we are going to hop right into our first segment, which is Drinking Buddies, where Tim walks us through our friends for the week, Sometimes Tim tries to tie the beers into our movie for the episode. In this episode, I have challenged him to tie in the beers this week to the soundtrack of O Brother, Where Art Thou? Which was actually more well-known than the movie at the time, in a lot of ways, and even won Album of the Year at the Grammys. So Tim, introduce us to this week's beer choices. Yes, I must say I loved the challenge, the uh, thematic resonance with the soundtrack was uh, ideal so i'm very very excited that you love these options here so one track from the album was i'll fly away which sure. for us this week is going to be from head flyer ah, wow can i get a what what hazy ipa it's going to align with that song another track was hard time killing floor blues so found a lovely option here from the twin cities area from prize brewing it's their Prize-winning cobbler blue berry pastry ale. Thank you. Now, Death is another song. Oh, Death is another popular song from the soundtrack. Many people say they see, might see, or be worried about seeing Death as an apparition, a spirit, maybe even a, a specter wow. of doom. And so we've got Fulton Brewing's Specter. It's their New England-style India or hazy India pale ale. I think my favorite here might be uh, I'm a Man of Constant Sorrow, the probably most recognizable track from that soundtrack. Those perhaps full of sorrow constantly may feel sad, disaffected, perhaps even disgruntled. So we've got Disgruntled Brewing from Northern Minnesota. They're full send. Listen to this. American Imperial Stout aged in bourbon barrels with fudge, coconut, cinnamon, and vanilla. Ooh. Wow. Boy, so those are options for this week. It's not just disgruntled, that's formidable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I actually have another beer this week. Ooh. I have a surprise for Tim. He does not know about this. And this was the reason I came up with this idea. You're going to like this. And I know you're going to like this. So I wanted Tim to tie into the soundtrack so that I could tie into the song You Are My Sunshine, which is on this album as well. Yep. So all the way... From Vermont, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, ooh, anticipation. 
We have Shut up! <laughs> we have Sip of Sunshine from Lawson's Finest. I believe from Vermont. Yes. Oh my god. So this Sip is of Sunshine. In- a little backstory on this while Tim composes himself. We I were totally at the great wanted this. Oh my god, sorry. I was how can we find this? Oh my god, I'm gonna today is a great day. I'm it's gonna start a, crying. Yeah, eleven seven is a great day. Oh my god. So Sorry. Tim and I were at the Great American Beer Festival with some friends last year for Tim's 40th. Um, and that was everything from Lawson's was a favorite of ours. And this was definitely one. Uh, so surprise. Dude, this is the best. So you have, we'll name drop it here. You have Kara to thank for this. Oh my gosh. So you can thank her. I am so thankful. Kara, <laughs> holy shnikes. Uh, I was yes. the sunshine song. I'm like, God, only this would be. Oh, I'm so ecstatic. Okay. Compose myself. Compose yourself. Last episode, we took a U-turn from the art house film style of Almost Famous and moved towards big budget superhero films and did X-Men. This episode, we head back towards the art house, smaller film style with Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh Brother is a film about three convicts working on a chain gang in 1930s Mississippi who escape prison together in order to rescue a treasure that Everett, played by George Clooney, claims is buried near his old house in a valley, which is to be flooded by the government in an effort to modernize. And that treasure will be lost if they do not get there in time. Everett's two friends, Pete and Delmar, unwittingly have joined in an epic journey that will take the three men across the state and encounter a variety of characters, both mythical and real, a lawman on the hunt for souls, and many other odd twists and turns along the way. Two weeks? That don't do me no good. Here's Ford Auto Man's Bristol. Hold on now. I don't want this pomade. I want Dapper Dan. I don't care, Dapper Dan. I care Pop. Well, I don't want Pop, goddammit. I'm a Dapper Dan man. The film is written by the Coen brothers, Joel and Ethan, and directed by Joel. Very loosely based on Homer's The Odyssey. And stars Clooney, as well as John Turturro, as Pete. Tim Blake Nelson as Delmar, Holly Hunter as Everett's estranged wife, and a host of other character actors, including John Goodman. Tim, initial memories on Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I remember seeing, I think back to the days when like Entertainment Weekly would have their like fall movie preview. And I still remember this being like prominently featured because it seemed like an evolution for the Coen brothers, which we might wax poetic about them later, but just... Um, I always felt like it was hit or miss for me at the time and thinking, all right, George Clooney, he's coming as, you know, we recognize who he is now, but at the time it was like starting to come into his fame after out of sight. And I remember thinking, well, this sounds pretty cool. And then hearing the music and just thinking, all right, this sounds kind of exciting. Watched it when we were going to the theater and just loved it. It mm-hmm. was a, a fun movie. The humor totally clicked in many ways. I just remember watching George Clooney be like, God, what is a movie star? So, um, yeah, I just remember having a, a good time with it. How about you? Same thing. I would say I I was unimpressed with the Coen brothers up until then. Because um, there are movies that were released before this that I actually really enjoy. And I'll talk more about that later. Um, but I do remember the same thing. George Clooney was going to be a star uh, coming off of the movies that he had done up until that point. I mean, who doesn't love The Peacemaker? And... That's right. So it is, and I remember thinking, and I definitely will wax poetic after the movie, I would think, but I definitely remember thinking along the lines of this is how the Coen brothers' quirky humor, this is how that humor can come out, and this is a really enjoyable story. 
Uh, when was the last time you watched this movie? Oh, easily 10 years. I don't watch it all the time. Sure. But I do have more recent than you, for sure, on this one. Our next segment is The Social Network, where we take a look back at how the movie was viewed by critics and fans. We do not need to keep crapping on Rotten Tomatoes, because they do a good enough job on their own to do that. So we tend to focus on actual reviews from film critics and real-life awards won. So Tim will have some specifics on the social network. For some perspective, the IMDb rating, which we give a little bit more credence to, is uh, 7.7 out of 10, so well-regarded, certainly. Thinking through some of the uh, standout options, overall, it seemed like critics were enjoying it, but never, I guess, I couldn't find any that showed an amazing reaction to it. So many of them here, uh, I'll summarize. A.O. Scott of the New York Times said the film is a rambunctious and inspired ride and is a richer and more serious movie than it seems at first, which risks being unfairly dismissed as an empty exercise in style. Wow. That was a pretty good review. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone, one of my favorites, uh, said the movie is a wild, whacked out wonder. Uh, Alliterative fun. Uh, Hollywood Reporter said somehow all the amusing parts don't amount to all that much. And the film ambles along agreeably. Although after a stretch, there's a certain sameness to the narrative terrain. Roger Ebert here, if we think back to last episode, similar to X-Men, gave this movie two and a half out of four stars. I was kind of surprised thinking, wow, really? Interesting, especially with how the Coen brothers are viewed in Hollywood. Exactly. I was like, really? Uh, But said the film contains sequences that are wonderful in themselves, lovely short films, but the new movie never really shapes itself into a whole. Uh, Academy Awards, which we talked through if there's nominations for that. It did win nominations for Adapted Screenplay for the Coen Brothers, ultimately losing out to Traffic. Uh, And Cinematography by the esteemed great Roger Deakins uh, was nominated for Cinematography as well, losing out to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon that year. Uh, But as you mentioned before, the soundtrack then did become a a thing unto its own afterwards. And the soundtrack largely became, I think, more well-known than the movie itself which that did win the Album of the Year Award in 2002, going up against Stankonia from Outcast, Acoustic Soul by India Ree, All That You Can't Leave Behind by U2, and Love and Theft from Bob Dylan. So pretty, uh, yeah, esteemed quali- or company to be in. But um, yeah, overall, it was kind of a mixed bag with some of the uh, reviews at the time. Well, thank you. You're welcome. All right. I think we are in a position to... Pause our recording. We have opened our first beer, which for tonight is Spectre from Fulton. Released in 2000 by Touchstone Pictures. Directed by Joel Cohn. Please enjoy along with us. Oh, brother, where art thou? Well, all right. We take off through that bayou. Wait a minute. Who elected you leader of this outfit? Well, Pete, I figured it should be the one with the capacity for abstract thought. All right, well, welcome back to 20 slash 4. We have just finished Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? So we're going to hop right into our segment and our reaction segment this week. We're actually calling High Fidelity. Top five. So Tim and I are going to count down or kind of talk about our top five takeaways or reactions or random thoughts from rewatching Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? The review we mentioned earlier talked about someone saying that it is a much more richer and more serious movie than it seems at first, which at first risks being unfairly dismissed as an empty exercise in style. That totally clicked with me watching it again. 
that idea that it is like when they sit around the bonfire talking and it's so glib and ridiculous at times. And yet there's these serious moments that I was, I forgot how fantastic of a fun, enjoyable ride it is. So yeah, that review, I think really hit home for me of thinking like it, I think it has a perspective for me of thinking like, Oh, it's a lighthearted fun, but man, it is so fantastic that, uh, yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Watching it again. So and like when the reveal it. comes that it, there is no treasure, like in that connection of like, oh my gosh, like spoiler. Yes, just so fantastic, so good. So you didn't watch the movie. We're gonna spoil it, so you should have watched the movie. So pause it and watch it. Uh, my first thought I wrote down pretty soon on was that this is three episodes now for us, and for the third straight movie, we find ourselves in a position of having sort of a young, new talent that you just know is gonna be a star. And this is not on purpose. It just sort of worked that way. True. But we had Kate Hudson in Almost Famous and Hugh Jackman in X-Men. And now we're just watching George Clooney. And yes, he had Out of Sight and he had other things. Um, Peacemaker, we joked about earlier. ER. I mean, in ER. And he was a star in his own right, but not what he is today. This is three. The first three just happened to have three people in it that drew just draw your attention to it. That was my first thought. That leads me into my second list. Uh George Clooney is clearly delighted in the role. Yeah. Like it it's a it's a rare experience watching someone have such pleasure in the role. Like he is like transparently in on the joke. But it comes across in such a way that it's not just like a star making turn or like keeps that going from his perspective or like his reputation, but he just is having so much fun. <laughs> in the role of Everett that is just endearing to watch that I was struck by of him just, I, he, like I said, I feel like it was one of those things of like, you look at like a Tim Burton and Johnny Depp, like yeah. they seem to be in sync in so many ways for good or bad, depending on the movie. This <laughs> felt like the Coen brothers and Clooney just clicked, but then it was like this like idea of like, I get what they're going for and I'm just going to lean hard into it. And he is just, phenomenal with his delivery his dialogue the, the cadence like oh, his facial expressions yes yeah it's My like old yeah it's old school <laughs> silent film style physical comedy yes um kind of leading into that a little bit and i'll play off of that is part of that is you talked about the coen brothers their writing is to me i do not have the love of the coen brothers that other people do but when they are at their best, they are the best writers out there. Like Aaron Sorkin, when he's at its best, or his best, excuse me, he's probably my favorite writer out there. But the Coen Brothers, like in this, I, I don't know how you come together and come up with the dialogue. Yeah. Just to be able, the way that they speak, and when you watch movies that are sort of set in the 30s, everyone speaks like Pete and Delmar. Nobody speaks like Everett. Nobody, especially not somebody who is theoretically poor. It might be a rich person or something like that. But yeah, it's. I I think the Coen Brothers. My my takeaway was that they're when they are at their best, they are the best writers. And to springboard off of that, so I, this is kind of a a new structure I love. But there's moments it has vibes of like a Mel Brooks, the ritual of the KKK, where they come across <laughs> and it's just this subtle satire of them singing and like moving together. It's like. I, it just it's 
it, that to me is a like it's this homage to some of these like uh, movies from before, not as like really hardcore like Blazing Saddles or like leaning into some of these issues. But for me, it just had vibes throughout of like a Mel Brooks style of this is a fun lark and we're just gonna have an enjoyable time with it. Like you know, Babyface Nelson comes along and just like shoots up cows. Like it's just like. What the hell is going on? George Nelson. Excuse me. How George. Dare you. Yes. Um, I would say, and this is off topic, like I, I wanted to try and tie in a little bit, but Roger Deakins is unreal at his job. Yes. That's what I wrote down. And for those of you who don't know who Roger Deakins is, that totally makes sense. Uh, but you've seen his work. Easily the best cinematographer in the game for years and years and years. When you see a movie like this or any of his other movies, you're just like, how can somebody make a movie look so good? Roger Deakins is astounding. I just, that's all I wrote down. I feel like it's a really weird synchronicity here because number four for me was the look of this is unbelievably gorgeously bleak where they wash it out at times. The black and white at times, it feels like when they're breaking him out of uh, the prison that he's in um, and saying, okay, let's go. And then yes, the, the down to river to pray scene, the sepia tones and but then it's lush at times that like depending like when he's meeting with a Bible salesman when he's about to beat him up like Big Dan yeah to the Big core. Dan it, it it the style is so different and the look of it is gorgeous but um yeah the how it comes across in the screen and the different tones in terms of what's more bleak what's more just uh, dire demand, whatever it is yeah I totally agree like that was something I wrote watching it again being like it looks ridiculously beautiful mm. and yet bleak for the depression era yeah they come to like delmore's cousin or whatever pete's cousin and it's like just this desolate area like i don't know it just yes roger deacon's tying to that kudos man just unbelievable what he did with that i would say i think this movie's a trailblazer in its use of music and film and what i mean by that is there have been we talked about the almost famous where like reality bites had a great soundtrack and there's really good soundtracks that have really good songs, but not many films use the music to advance the plot without it being a musical. And the two films that I would say, so if I had to do like top three, if we had to rank the two other films would be guardians of the galaxy and baby driver of using the music to drive the story without it being like a musical. And this is exactly that. And so I felt like this movie, which was what, 10 or 12 years ahead of these other ones. Yeah. I rewatching it back. We all love the soundtrack. And if you listen to it, you love the soundtrack, but not everybody loves bluegrass music. Yeah. And the reason you love the soundtrack is it ties in well with this movie. Like on its surface, if you just released that soundtrack, it would have been like, oh, okay, it's fine. It's good. It's enjoyable. But I enjoy that soundtrack now more because it relates to the movie. And so when I watch, when I listen to the soundtrack and it relates to the movie. And so you kind of can't have one without the other. Yeah. When we were thinking of this movie coming up and uh, as we always do, we kind of like research before we meet and talk. And it's kind of like seeing with social network and other areas. I had the soundtrack on in the background (laughs) just to kind of like prime that pump of, you know, it's so closely linked to this film and it is such a more robust experience with the soundtrack in the background thinking, oh man, I can't wait till this comes on or this scene or whatever it is. 
to my fifth, the top five. So the fifth one here for me was, yeah, I, in a similar vein for me, the soundtrack for this of compiling all these old bluegrass, old country, because you know me, I can't stand country. Modern country to me is just the worst. So sorry, listeners, whatever it might be, I can't stand it. But this has such a connection to me of not just the movie, but all these songs together is phenomenal that I actually think it drives the movie, but I don't think the movie works without the music. It's one of these essential combinations that drives the narrative, the experiences of these characters. So often music can convey that in such a better way Mm -hmm. than either visuals or dialogue or whatever it might be that the music accentuates and makes it such a better experience that I think the movie cannot be done Mm -hmm. without the soundtrack. And what T-Bone Burnett did with this you know, remaking all these classic Americana songs, blues, blues, whatever it is. It's incredible to me what he did because yeah, this clearly exists beyond the movie, but like I said, I I think the movie cannot work without the soundtrack. I like that. My last one, you know, actually wasn't an initial take, but the, and I apologize if this craps on your trivia later, but their (laughs) initial, their initial, the Oh Brother Ratho comes from, Sullivan's Travels. It doesn't crap my trivia. Okay, I good. did see some of that, but no. Okay, and that movie is about a comedy director who seeks out to make a drama thinking that that's better. Like, I'll be more respected for this. And he decides to make a movie called Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And it's this drama. But through, through this making of that movie, he actually learns that comedy is actually better. Or he comedy is better for our soul and that um we're better off laughing than we are being serious and we talked about mel brooks earlier and it's the exact same to talk about that we're not talking slapstick we're not talking anything like that but i was struck by that in this weird parallel of they got the name from this thing that said we cannot take ourselves too seriously we have to find a way to laugh yeah and the two of us laughed our tails off through this movie you would think in 1930s, middle of the Depression, you know, Annabellum, Annabellum South would be a drama. Yeah. But in reality, you find yourself just laughing your way through this. Not to go too deep on it. No, I like that, is, actually. That's a great thought around... Uh, I had read some of that stuff with uh, the name Sullivan's. of the... Yes, the yeah. name of the movie and how it came about. But, yeah, it, it has a, a different resonance to me with this movie... And that accessibility from the humor and the comedy that it's just, it's just a damn funny movie. Oh, you laugh. Yeah. Oh, and you God. haven't seen it in longer. No. So you definitely laughed a lot more. The, the screenplay is so good. The way he talks about it early on, the very first words out of Everett's mouth are like, are you? Hey, any of you boys, Smithies? Or, if not Smithies per se, were you otherwise trained in the metallurgical, metallurgical arts? Metallurgical arts? <laughs> like, all right, we have just decided to go a certain direction on this, and and that is where the Coen brothers are great. Well, which okay, so we're just gonna hop right into we yeah. have Drinking Buddies the sequel. That's our high fidelity, and Tim is gonna reread what we got, or we'll go one by one, and we'll kind of go there. And again, for the second time out of three episodes, we have five beers. We do. Um, I I don't want to change our name and. 
Nope. It just worked out this way that we had the sip of sunshine. We've always we said five at, this week. At least. It does say at least. Four beers. It does say at least. Absolutely. So what do we got, Tim? Um, what I will say for any listener that might care, the coolest thing about this week was, or this episode was, yeah. the challenge of finding ones that aligned with the soundtrack. It was a weird thing how we opened them pretty much in the order of when that song was on. We were laughing. We were like, this is crazy. So uh, Fultz Inspector, it is their uh, New England style India Pale Ale. It's uh, one that came out a year or two ago or so. Yeah, a few years ago. Yep. Uh, it's just a phenomenal option for this. And right. uh, I give it a four uh, out of five. It's just a fantastic <laughs> IPA for this. I also gave it a four out of five on that. I think anyone who's from the Minneapolis area knows Fulton. But no, Spectre is four out of five for me as well. The surprise that I screamed over i love it is lawson's finest liquids out of vermont their sip of sunshine ipa i must say i i have fond memories of this like we talked about before of being at the great american beer fest last october and it held up holy Mm -hmm. cats having this again it is a solid clean ipa uh it's just insanely good and so, it's a double IPA technically, where it's an eight something percent. That's true. It's even yes. listed as double IPA on on uh, Untapped, but you would never know it's a double no. IPA by drinking it. Nope. It tastes just like a regular good IPA because it's eight percent. Yeah, it's it's incredible. So yeah, I had a four and a half out of five on. I did one. too, and I will give my own self some shenanigans that when I looked back at checking in on this, I gave myself a four the last time. And again, anyone who's been to a beer fest knows when you've had 30 or 40 or 50 beers, I think I had 50 to 65 that time of samples, mind you. Yes. But that was towards the end of the night that we found that. And so I do remember writing down more, but then sort of bringing it back, thinking like, "Uh, (laughs) maybe I don't really think this was as good, but anything you get from them they have a double well they have a triple version of this they have other stuff that's really good i also gave it a four and a half yeah and it's funny because i actually looked at my untap too and i was like i didn't tap in oh i think i gave up <laughs> at that point of the night after like i can't do this anymore i actually think i still have some in my phone's notes that i never tapped in on that i just can't remember what i thought i think i have five or six that are just like i can't remember I can't do this yeah it's just like ah, i'm here for the beer so that's great so it'd be nice to tap into that uh, the next one we had was the prize-winning cobbler, the blueberry pastry ale, uh, in combination with another brewery in Minneapolis, the Freehouse beer. Oh, uh, I gotta say, I was pleasantly surprised by yeah, this. I saw your reaction. Yep. This was a collaboration they put together for the Minnesota State Fair that obviously had to get canceled because. Oh, of, uh, I just got it. Prize-winning. Prize-winning. It was for the cobbler. State fair. Okay. Yes. Right. So there you go. Uh, I'm gonna give it a four point two five because. For the style it is, uh, it was phenomenal. Hmm. I cannot think I can drink a whole one. We no, split it. Shared, I agree. Yes, and I'll probably keep that the extras I have to share it. But it was. I'm not a big fan of like fruit mm-hmm. heavy beers, and it was blue definitely when it came out. <laughs> yeah, it was blue. <laughs> blue for sure. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I I thought it was fantastic. So yeah, it, for the style it is, uh, if I was out in the state fair, warm hot day drinking this, not bad. So even now, uh, yeah. 4.25 for me. I had a four. Yeah, I mean, that's, I agree. In a, I've usually fruit beers tend to be less. Uh, sours, not withstanding, yeah. but fruit beers tend to be less. But I do agree that it was really good. And it was solidly blue. It was, it was as if it was blueberry pie or whatever. So I, I gave it a four. Yeah. 
The uh, next one we had was the Head Flyer Hazy <laughs> IPA. Head Flyer Hazy IPA. Can I get a what what? Uh, I gotta say, I like a lot of Head Flyer stuff. Uh, this didn't do much for me. I was pretty surprised. It was uh, a pretty bland, hazy IPA for me. So I guess maybe I was expecting more than what was offered. It uh, it was fine. I actually gave it just like a three point two five. Where okay, yeah. um, but no, I was like I said, I was pretty surprised. I did not think too much of it. Uh, I came in at three five. You know, uh, which is about as low as I go for the most part on sure. a good beer. But I initially had a 3.75, but then as I kept drinking it, right? it just sort of was like, man, it doesn't hold up. So it dropped it a little bit for me. So it's fine. Anyone in the Minneapolis area, if you go to Head Flyer, you're going to enjoy yourself. You're going to have some great beer. Yeah. This particular one was not as great. So yeah. I had a 3.5. I was surprised by it. And then the oh. disgruntled brewing yes. out of uh, Purim, Minnesota, a bit further north. Purim. Their full send American Imperial Stout aged in bourbon barrels. With fudge, coconut, cinnamon, and vanilla. I give it a four and a half. Uh, for this style of beer, I find with... I mean, we had that in the first episode with, uh, I think, Junkyard's Black's <laughs> Black beautiful, beautiful. Where it was like, yeah. it's a bit much. Yeah. Uh, this actually was really good for me with... I could taste the fudge, the coconut, cinnamon, and vanilla in, I think, appropriate amounts. And the bourbon mm. barrel came through, but not like a punch in the face bourbon for me uh so i was really surprised i think i i really I, yeah four and a half for me actually for this style the combination of complex flavors really came through well so uh kudos to them i was i was impressed i agree with the flavors i ended up with a four not that it was bad or anything like that i just it was i think in my head when i hear bourbon barrel aged where I lost it, the flavors were good, but I did not catch the the bourbon barrel side sure. of that. So it just brought it down to me. But the flavors are great. It's a solid beer. It's yeah. good. It was very enjoyable. It also was last of the night. So, I mean, <laughs> we built up to it. We're on a good roll with the movie. It's such a fun yeah. time. So, yes, it, it's good. All right. So it brings us into Hot Shots segment. So we have Hot Shots and Hot Shots Part Duh, where Tim and I offer up a hot take. That might not have been there two decades ago. Do you want to go first, or what do you want to do? Sure, I can go first. Thank you for us last time. So, uh, not like I'm keeping track or anything, but uh, <laughs> so we've talked about this in many ways. So, uh, I we find the the Coen brothers. To me, I feel like I can put them in two categories with their films. Um, one that's like accessible to all, where I think of like something like Fargo or No Country for Old Men, where it is widely popular or people can appreciate it without their quirkiness. And then I put most of the other movies they have in this category that I feel like I am on the outside of some huge inside joke that I don't get. And I feel like I'm missing the key to access what they feel like this should be landing. I think of burn after reading, um, it's such a hot pile of garbage for me. Like, I feel like what, so I clearly missed what they were trying to go for. I say that because this movie is, I think the rare exception for them that straddles the line of those. It is incredibly accessible. The quirkiness comes through the inside joke to me. I feel like I'm in the end. I feel like I'm getting it. I feel like, Oh, I know what you're going for. Like this level of slapstick, but quirky humor 
moving moments or like connecting these characters absurdity at times but i don't know for me it just it lands in a different way that straddles that i feel like in some way that the, the dichotomy of the coen brothers of it's usually one or the other and i'm usually hesitant to watch the movies because i'm so concerned the majority feel like the inside joke for me mm. this one um i feel like it's one of their best mm. if not the best they've done because it is so accessible and i'm in on the joke and i love that feeling well this disturbs me because Did you look at my notes <laughs> you and i have very similar hot takes basically the same what i have essentially is that the coen brothers have made terrific films and i like fargo true grit other people like no country and big lebowski and i could argue against both those films my favorite film of theirs favorite is the hudsucker proxy i sure. doubt you've seen it i have not I love that movie. Yeah. Um, that to me is their quirky sort of humor works. But I would say that this movie is their masterpiece. Sure. And we talk about the great directors of our time of Tarantino and that kind of stuff. And everyone has their different opinion on what is their best movie from a filmmaking standpoint, from a writing standpoint, from an acting standpoint, everything. Yes. And this is their best film. And my hot take on top of that is it's not even close. They're number two. Ooh. Whatever their number two is on uh. your best movie there's, I would be like, nope, this is better. So the Coen brothers peaked in 2000. Yeah. When you do comedy well, I think that hits differently. And, and to me, this is their this is their masterpiece, and it's not even close. I, I would say that just the affection that... Again, I haven't watched it in a long time, but just how it holds up mm-hmm. watching it 20 years later. Um, yeah, because nothing since then has stood out to what this movie's impact has been. Um, yeah, I think that's a good hot take. And No Country, the Cormac McCarthy book is an incredibly stripped down crime novel mm-hmm. that I remember seeing that feeling like this might be one of the best adaptations I've seen of them repurposing text into a film like just slap it on the screen because it is incredible for adaptation Mm -hmm. so i can see why it won and kind of like a and we'll give you like almost like a lifetime achievement oscar but i i think yes this stands out as far as this is clearly their best one that hopefully they hang their hat on it's so good yeah i love the adaptation piece of this saying this was up for best adapted screenplay (laughs) as if anybody who's ever read the freaking odyssey Yes. And in reading about this, they had initially wanted to base it off of something else and decided basically to say, we're just going to base it off the Odyssey. They never read yes. the dang book. Yes. And so they're, they call Everett is Ulysses Everett McGill. And there are some sirens. They loved him up and turned him into a horny toad. And there are, he's like a, the, the blind guy. Yes. And then the Cyclops. So there are some Penny comparisons. Penelope. Right. Yes. But the idea that this is based on the Odyssey is so absurd. Going back home. I know, as I if yes. the Oscars or whomever would have been like, no, no, no. It's too much like the Odyssey. Yeah. Like, come on. Yes, exactly. So we actually are at our final segment of the show. And it's one that both Tim and I have fun with. So hopefully you do as well. This is Quiz Show, where we search for fun, quirky, or even difficult trivia nuggets throughout our research for our film. And attempt to stump each other along the way. 
for those keeping score. I have a perfect <laughs> score of six for who six. Who keeps score for I this? I don't know who keeps score for this, and I think Tim has less. I, I don't know for those keeping score, but there it is. <laughs> so Tim, Tim is claiming to have two. I'm coming with one and a backup in case we have we cross streams. So Tim, you can go That's first good. since you have more than me again. So it ties to that. I will be very clear in my trivia. I'm happy with them. I'm not super proud of them. <laughs> so I like them. I mailed it in. No, Which it's we've discovered mail in. Mail in typically works. Yeah, mail in hey, surprisingly effective. Mm-hmm. So hey, I like that. I'm, I'm mailing it in this That's time. That's right. Um, so like you said, reports from 2000 when the film was made outlined that neither of the Coen brothers actually read the Odyssey claiming their understanding of characters and narrative were compiled and pieced together through other adaptations and references in popular culture. Apparently, as reports say, only one person on set had actually read The Odyssey. I'm going to narrow it down to the three main actors because it's a huge, wide thing. So you might have read this. Who knows? But of the three main actors, can you name one of the one that actually read The Odyssey while they were filming? I can't. Based on knowledge, but that means I have to guess. Yes. So I'm going to guess Tim Blake Nelson. Yes! (laughs) Nice! The streak continues. I read that. I just love the idea that they're like, we're adapting this from a a book. Anybody read it? Sure, I guess I read it. Yeah. Nice work, sir. Well, thank you. Yep. Okay, George Clooney has, this was their first movie together. Sure. He has been in four Coen Brothers films in that time. Many other actors actually have been in four. One other actor has been in five. And two actors shared the distinction of being in six of the Coen Brothers feature films. Oh, man. Name those two. Both of them? Uh, I will give you a I mean, John Turturro's got to be. One of them is in this film. Yeah. John Turturro feels like. No, no, no. Sorry. John Goodman. Okay. I'm going to say John Goodman is one answer. Okay. You're right on that one. Yeah. Goodman, I feel like now I step back. Like Turturro's yeah. only been a few. Um, holy cats! I have no idea. Actually, I haven't seen enough of them to even con- like contemplate. Sure. Actually, all right. Well, she won an Oscar for the movie she was in with the Coen. I almost said Francis McDormand. Actually, yep. Oh. So Francis McDormand. Both of them have been in six. Wow. Of their movies. Well, she's married to right. one she's of them, so that to, makes total sense. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's good. So I there like you go. that. All right. Doing all right. Okay. So. My previous two have been related to music, so we're going to keep that theme going here. So, A Brother Where Art Thou is the third film soundtrack to win Album of the Year at the Grammys. The other two winners were for a 1979 and a 1992 film soundtrack. Can you name those two movies that won Album of the Year at the Grammys? Oh, Bodyguard. Bodyguard, yes. Yep. The Bodyguard was one. And I... So was the year of the other one? 1979. Guy, damn it. But you can't tell by the way I move my mouth. Oh, I was of course. So down the top. Yeah, that would have made sense. <laughs> Saturday Saturday night, you got me. Yeah, Saturday Night Fever. You got me. Saturday Night Fever. Yes. God dang it. Right. The streak ends. The streak ends. <laughs> Fine. Who knew you didn't get to 270 today? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what's our next film? We have Castaway. Castaway. So thanks to pushing... Memento the next year, we were able to bring in another film from that year, and Castaway was one that I would love to say that we had on our list and cut, but we kind of forgot about that yep. movie, and we are excited to watch Castaway next time. I can't wait to tell you about the experience of watching it with a 
very old gentleman sitting next to me in the theater. <laughs> it's going to blow your mind. <laughs> Teaser. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you for taking time to listen and for clicking that like or subscribe button on your devices. Follow us on Twitter at years underscore beers and on Facebook or hop on over to 20years4beers.com for more information, updates, pics of the show. This has been our historic third episode on November 7th episode of 20 Years 4 Beers. My name is Steve. I'm Tim. And thanks for listening. Thanks. Kill me too hard.